Michigan? How did we lose Michigan? This time on Poll Hub, Hillary Clinton's lament became Donald Trump's victory, thanks to narrow wins in states like Michigan and Wisconsin. But brand new polls of those states and Minnesota suggest the tide has turned for Republicans in the upper Midwest. We're going to dig into the numbers. Also, a brand new national poll that we've done taken entirely after the Trump-Putin-Helsinki summit. And a big majority of Americans are worried about what? Plenty, and we'll discuss that as well. So pull up your big boy or big girl pants, and let's get busy. And hi, everybody. This is Paul Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Paul. And I'm Lee Mergoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And that's exactly what we've been doing. Polling, polling, <laughs> polling. States, national, you name it. So uh, with NBC News, we've been in three states. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of states that are very interesting this time around because there are Senate races that are competitive. A lot of states where Donald Trump won and it was a bit of a surprise. And so there's really a lot of interest in what's going on in specific states. We, we've been in three of the most important Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Yeah, and I think there's particularly particularly, that's easy for me to say, um, interest in the states, particularly after, again, now I'm saying it correctly, uh, 2016, when I think a lot of people were looking at some of the national polls and not getting a sense or a good narrative of, of the, what was of going at the of what yeah. was going at the state level and particularly the upper Midwest. So we've taken a look just recently at these three states and we'll probably be back again. But we found some really um, interesting interesting tidbits going on here. I think most interesting about uh, Michigan, and I'd like to take uh, that state first, uh, is that, as you mentioned, Jay, Trump won. Um, And now not by a lot, um, you know, just uh, a bit over 10,000 votes. But in in 2016, it was actually considered a blue state because of the strong wins the two previous times by Obama in 08 um, and and 12. So I think Michigan was particularly a surprise. But if one of these states uh, has really changed or is very different than what we saw in 2016, um, I think it is Michigan. We see a couple of things here. First of all, um, they're going to be having lots of lots of elections in November. They actually have a primary this uh, in the beginning of August coming up soon to decide uh, Democrat uh, and Republican um, nominees for governor. And there's a lot of people running, right? There's a ton of people, yeah. Well, because it's also an open seat. Uh, They instituted uh, term limits, I think, back in the 90s. So uh, Rick Snyder, the the current governor, is term limited. And so, you know, open seats attract a lot of attention from both sides of the aisle. Uh, Certainly, uh, Debbie Stabenow, their uh, U.S. senator, uh, now senior senator since the retirement of Carl Levin, um, she's actually seeking her fourth term. So they also have, you know, the congressional seats, obviously, and lots lots of state races and a number of initiatives on the ballot this November. So they're looking to have some big numbers in terms of turnout. And when we look at what uh, people in Michigan uh, and voters in Michigan are, are, are thinking, we see that uh, if when we ask them who they would like to see control Congress um, this time around, uh, 45% say they would like to see the Democrats uh, regain control, and 36% want to keep the Republicans in charge. So that's a plus nine Democrats. And that's the so-called generic 
ballot question. Well, well, that's more. That is about control. We oh, also actually yeah, asked right, the generic right, right. question yep. too, which is who they, who people yes. would like to vote I for. In their, in and it's the district, Democrat, yeah, yeah and yeah, it's the Democrat or the Republican. It again, we call it the generic because yeah. there aren't any. Uh, there's not a specific candidate on it. And actually, Lee, in in that case, there's actually a thirteen, 13 point yep. uh, difference between Democrats and Republicans, uh, with the plus going to the to the Democrats. Yep. So, um, you know, we see a lot of uh, Democratic um, interest there when we look at um, who sees the elections this November as very important. Democrats show their strength there as well. And I know, Lee, that you're going to talk a lot about uh, some of the groups that we want to look at, but especially in Michigan, we're seeing, you know, women, independents, uh, strongly disapproving of Trump. And I think that's the biggest change that we see um, in the numbers from his election in in 2016. Yeah, yeah, I'm struck by the fact that his approval rating currently is 35% in a state that, that he won. That he won. So uh, that's a very, very different there, political and, landscape. And there's him. another number there that really jumped out at me, 64%. There, we also ask, you ask a lot of different questions to get at this a lot of different ways. Do you think he deserves re-election or do you think somebody else mm-hmm. deserves a chance? 64% of Michiganders don't think he deserves to be re-elected. And this is what just blew me away. That includes 22% of Republicans. Yeah. And that's 22% number. of Republicans yeah. in, in this state yeah. say, eh, maybe somebody new. Yeah, well, I think also Michigan hasn't seen a lot of improvement um, in the economy. The economy, we know nationally, and we're going to talk a little bit later about this, is really Trump's calling card. They've had, you know, they've had a tough time uh, between, um, you know, Water issues that we've known about nationally, Detroit school issues. Um, you know, it's a it's it's a state that hasn't quite gotten on track. That said, statewide they often do elect Republicans, and it's really at the at the national level mm-hmm. or the federal races where we see uh, the Democrats um, have have taken hold. So I think that's more of their reputation mm-hmm. as a purple rather than a a blue state, despite uh, you know Obama's big margins there. Yeah, it was a that was I think the the, the stunning thing for people who really on both sides was that uh, Obama won by so much, 16 points in 2008. How does a 16-point win in 2008 and a 9-point win in 2012 become a Trump win, even if it is by 10,000-plus votes in 2016? I think that's what's stunning. But this certainly – doesn't this indicate, Lee, that – where, where Michigan went in 2016 is not where it's going, I at think least it, in 2018. It looks like it's going to be a reset, at least, uh, you know, into talking about federal elections. And, and I think that that's, uh, you know, something that we're seeing elsewhere. Now, one of the states that we also looked at was Minnesota. And Minnesota is a state that Hillary Clinton narrowly eked out a uh, – uh, an advantage, uh, a winning, uh, it was one and a half percentage point, 45,000 votes. Uh, it did not go the way uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, which we're going to talk about in a second, went uh, for Donald Trump. But certainly it was very close in a state that has not voted for Republicans since Richard Nixon in, in 1972. Although I recall Ronald Reagan in 1984 running against Minnesota's own Walter Mondale, Walter Mondale yeah. was 
about to sweep the entire country minus Minnesota. And they, if I'm not mistaken, dibbed into Minnesota right at the end for one last try. Try to see if they could make a clean sweep. To make it it the the magic. I think that's called piling on a little bit. I think (laughs) in sports you don't do that when you're ahead. You don't, you know, steal a base or a punt or do something. Well, unless you're you're the Yankees. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Okay. Anyway, so back to to the land of the Minnesota Twins. Let's yes. keep this in baseball. So, so Obama, you know, carried the state uh, easily, uh, and it was closer uh, last time with Hillary Clinton, a, a pattern that we've seen anywhere, er, elsewhere. And, um, you know, it is a vote that we see in Michigan also, uh, you know, at the state level. Odd things can happen. Uh, Governorships. So this is the land of Jesse Ventura, which I think most of you still remember. And also uh, Republicans have won the governorship. And Tim Pawlenty, who's running to reclaim his seat this time, uh, had obviously been a former governor and a Republican in that state. Right now, incidentally, he is trailing his uh, Democratic opponent or any one of the several people who are seeking it. Also on the Senate side, uh, Tina Smith, who filled in, replaced Al Franken, which uh, right when he also, resigned, yeah, also noteworthy, um, is uh, running up a 14-point advantage over the Republican there. So I think what we're seeing, and 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 we could go through lots and lots of more numbers, but again, the generic questions, the control questions. Uh, who they prefer to control. Minnesota has a lot of independents. Uh, they're always important, and they think they're going to be voting to, for Congress to send a message about Donald Trump. Um, well, yeah, as, as uh, um, I'm not sure you mentioned, Donald Trump also has a um, approval rating, is upside down in Minnesota also. He only has a 36-point, uh, 36% approval rating. So, so the numbers in this region, again, why it's so important is because it's a region that the Republicans made either with uh, Donald Trump successful inroads or they just kind of did a lot better, and they did in Minnesota, but not not well enough. And then we see things like suburban white white women who are going to be very important in a lot of states, and the disapproval of Donald Trump there is 58% with only 29% approving of his job performance. So we're seeing the president casting a long shadow in this region, and certainly uh, in Minnesota as well. And it looks like, again, this will be a reset state unless something happens uh, between now and November. Oh, right. nothing ever happens. <laughs> no, no September surprise, no October surprise, and no first week of November No, political surprise. news has been so boring. And then right across the border is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, when we look at these three state, states, always. yeah, it really fascinated me because Wisconsin – but like Minnesota has this actually really long, deep, progressive, somewhat liberal history. Uh, but Wisconsin, in particular, after the Tea Party, um, you know, movement mm-hmm. kind of blossomed, Wisconsin became a laboratory for Tea Party Republicans and big money from big money uh, conservative leaning groups to pour money in, and and they got behind this guy named Scott Walker, and mm-hmm. he won the governorship I've in, heard of in him. 2010. You may have heard of him, <laughs> yeah. And he had run. I'm in- sorry. I yeah. recall his name. You recall it's a recall. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't know, we're about to talk about a recall. Uh, so Scott Walker had run in 2006, but had not gotten any traction. Um, and the Republican in that year lost. He runs in 2010. <clears throat> excuse me. He runs in 2010 and uh, wins. Uh, and immediately does the kinds of things that Donald Trump has done as president right out of the gate. Like 
basically starts blowing things up that you don't think a guy who who wins by a fairly narrow margin is going to do. And the biggest thing he takes on, as you'll recall, is the public sector unions, Absolutely. the, the yeah. legislature, there's protests, there's, there's you know, the FBI is called it. It's craziness. The, the state Democrat, the Democrats in the state legislature decamp to Illinois so there isn't a quorum <laughs> so they can't vote in there. I mean, it is madness. I remember um, that in, in the midst of that, the cable news shows all moved there like Hannity and and and, and the ones on MSNBC, they all moved there and ground, did their live shots zero. with Madison. Yeah, in the background, because it really was this kind of political war. And then there was the recall. So he gets all this done, then there's a recall vote, and he wins that. So he's even more a, a hero mm-hmm. to conservatives. And then Donald Trump wins well, this state. Oh, there's something also in between. Also a presidential right. candidate. And he was then for right. a for a, good a an hour and a half. Well, yeah, but but it's a good point. For a brief moment, but at that brief moment, at the beginning of the 2016 season, yeah. he was the perceived frontrunner. Yeah. And it was because of what he had done mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. He had taken a, a, a what was perceived to be a progressive and liberal state, and this new brand of republicanism, this conservative republicanism, uh, had taken hold, and they had found he is kind of one of the prototypes for Donald Trump. And then Donald Trump goes on to win this state by a very narrow margin over Hillary Clinton, if she said it about Michigan, she said it about Wisconsin, too. How did we lose Wisconsin? Because Obama had won easily 14 mm-hmm. points yeah. and then seven points in 2012. Uh, but instead, by fewer than 20, a little more than 20,000 votes, Donald Trump wins. And so what's happening in Wisconsin now? I know you also looked at the regions in Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm gonna, found, we're going to do that. Yeah, something yeah. really interesting there. We talked a little bit. We're going to do that. Let me, let me real briefly, okay. just like we've talked about in Michigan sure. and Minnesota, some of the numbers. Um, you know, his approval rating, he's upside down. Uh, Donald Trump, 53 to 35 among Wisconsin adults. So 35 um, is the approval. Yeah, 35 is the approval rating. 53 is the disapproval rating. And in all the ways we've talked about, independence and women and all those kinds of things, um, the, the, Wisconsin very much reflects what we've talked about in these other two states. There's one area in particular that's so interesting to me about Wisconsin. Paul Ryan represents the first district, congressional district in Wisconsin, and it is what's called the Chewaukee suburbs. And that's because Milwaukee and Chicago are close enough together that people live in Wisconsin, but they actually work in Chicago and they commute. And Paul Ryan represents a lot of those folks. And a lot of the other people in that area are kind of the, the blue collar you know, white, um, you know, somewhat religious suburbanite kinds of voters that have been his bedrock. I mean, he's been running re- winning re-election since 1998. Paul Ryan's been around. Now, he's retiring. In the Chewaukee suburbs, which is essentially his district, 45% of the voters there disapprove of the job that Donald Trump is doing, and 41% approve. That's a staggering number. It is the only area that is that low in um, in the entire state. Well, every that, other that area, close. that close, that close, yeah. yeah. Every other area is a, 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 a quite a wide margin, which is why the approval rating is upside down. And then if you look at um, uh, whether there's the strongly disapprove, because we also ask gradations of that. Do you strongly disapprove? Do you strongly approve? And this is where the gap is the biggest, but in a weird way. So no other region has as many people saying they strongly approve of the job he's doing. Twenty-seven percent. Yeah, it was only, it's 22 in Michigan. Yeah, it's 27% in the Chewaukee suburbs, but 37% strongly disapprove. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not 70 or 80%, it's not huge, sure. but, but there's a very strong approval, but there's a very strong disapprove. And I think that's part of the lesson of Wisconsin is the passion. So the passion was on the side of the, the Ryan forces. The passion, we many people thought, was actually on the side 
of the of the Democrats after the recall and mm -hmm. Scott Walker and all of that. But Donald Trump ekes it out. Yeah. But it's very clear here that the passion now is on the side of, of the Democrats. Although I found it in Wisconsin one uh, counter number to that when we looked at the importance of the midterm elections by these three states in Michigan – Democrats have a plus 14 over Republicans in terms of the significance of the midterm elections. In Minnesota, that number is 16. In Wisconsin, it's only two points. Yeah. So people in Wisconsin, Republicans and Democrats, are not as different in terms of how they're approaching the midterms as we're seeing in these other states. Something to watch down the road, I, I, I wonder if part of that is Wisconsin historically has very high voter turnout, and I wonder if yeah. there's just more civic engagement there, and, and maybe that's part of it. One other number before we go away, because we did mention Scott Walker. He's running for yes. re-election. He's up. And um, so we asked the question, well, do you feel that Scott Walker deserves to be re-elected or it's time to give a new person a chance? Which is a different way of asking do you to support him or not or are you going to vote for him. And uh, it's 61% want to give a, a new person a chance. 34% deserves to be re-elected. Not a great number going in yeah, the to your election. The campaign months. handlers will tell you that's sort of a hard question, but as an incumbent, you should be getting at least 40 yeah. and then hope you find the rest elsewhere. And, yeah. But, but, but below 40% on at a re-election, that's, that's, that's a pretty problem. tough. Yeah, and, the reason and, why, and the reason why it's tough is because you're not putting a, a person up against a person. Right. It's just, again, this kind of generic, you know, Democrat in this mm -hmm. instance. And so right. you're leaving the door wide open as to what that person would be. And, and we talked about the various breakdowns of part by party and by gender and all that. So independent, 61% want a new person, but even 16% of Republicans in Wisconsin, 16% say, yeah, maybe we need a, we need somebody new. Now that doesn't mean they, they wouldn't prefer another Republican sure. clearly, but uh, dissatisfaction there from somebody who was pretty much the golden boy of this movement that Donald Trump has kind of, um, you know, inherited. And uh, Wisconsin shows that uh, the yeah. bloom is off the road. Yeah, and if this is, it turns out to be a blue wave, as some people are, are anticipating, it may not, but some are, um, clearly Scott will be a big story election night because he's a known figure nationally. Uh, and if he loses, then we'll see that. I, I, I point out one other thing as, uh, before we took to the national numbers, and that is when you look at these three states, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. I see snow. The, <laughs> the governor's approval rating at 35. I'm sorry, the president's approval rating at 35, 36, and 35. So we did these polls, and I should point out by way of clarity, when we do clarification, when we do polls with NBC we do statewide polls with them. When you hear about the NBC, Wall Street Journal uh, poll. National the, the national polls. The yeah. Those are national. We don't do those. Our national partner is NPR and PBS uh, NewsHour with Judy Woodruff. We like to share the wealth among That's all right. of the great media partners. So, so sometimes people say, well, what did you get in that NBC national poll? And I say, I don't know. You'll have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't do that one. Anyway. But interestingly, so we do this state, these three states, these three and, we, states and yeah. we see Donald Trump's approval rating down from what you might expect and where he's been. And some polls have been showing him mid-40s nationally. And then we did this poll nationally, and drumroll, his approval rating at 39% nationwide in a poll that we did entirely following the Helsinki summit. Um, clearly, that had a big impact. Uh, it may be even one of those defining moments like Charlottesville was on race or the images of the, the kids 
uh, about the immigration and talking about family values and what and the like. This may be another one of those moments. President Trump uh, on the platform, standing next to Vladimir Putin, and not projecting the kind of strength that is his calling card. But we can look at those numbers too. And we're going to follow stuff. them. We're yep. going to fo- keep following them. So, what did we see in those um, numbers on Russia? That that's the big question, right? Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned, no, this is really kind of a defining moment, or mm-hmm. it seems Possibly. to be a defining moment, yep. possibly. And so. We were in the field to ask the question after, not just like the moments after, but really a few days after. So this story didn't end the moment that that news conference in Helsinki ended. It actually, well, still goes on now, but the the next couple of days had all these twists and turns. So there's an awful lot uh, of information that got out. And good when you're doing public opinion to, if you get the opportunity in this nutty news cycle arena that we're in, to let the dust settle a little bit. That does let things sink in, and that may be a better reading of where the impact of this was, yeah, and that's so, what I think we got. So in addition to the state polls and taking a look at the state polls, uh, we worked with our partners, uh, NPR and the PBS NewsHour, to take a look at how things, um, how this all played out um, nationally. And as you pointed out, Lee, uh, very interestingly, um, the president's um, approval rating was just really a notch above what we had seen um, in these in these three states. I think one of the things that I saw that thought was really interesting when we asked people specifically about Russia um, and the summit and what they had been seeing and hearing about all week, um, we, we asked whether it was it was um, you know better to build relationships with Russia um, or to treat Russia really as a threat to the United States. And there's actually quite a consensus. 59% of Americans thought that it was better for us to be building a strong mm-hmm. relationship uh, with, with Russia rather than having this adversarial mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, relationship with them. So the president makes a good argument when he says that. He's right in the middle of where yeah. the national sentiment is. Right. Important point. But... but when it comes to Vladimir Putin, there was a division, which I thought was very interesting between whether he should be seen as an adversary also, as an enemy or as an ally. Um, and that one split almost evenly. Then we get to the key question, I think, and that is 64% of Americans, including almost half of Republicans, say that Donald Trump was not tough enough. Yeah, 47% of Republicans actually agreed with yeah. that, that he, he, he wasn't tough enough, which speaks a little bit to your optics issue that yeah. he had with the, uh, with the press conference and that because he is seen um, particularly by Republicans as such a strong leader, but that the whole idea is that he can, you know, he can make the deal, he can, you know, really mm-hmm. stick up for uh, America against uh you know, countries around the world, uh, that that was a tough image for him. And one of the other things came out of the news conference, if you recall, was who do you believe? Do you believe the intelligence services or do yeah. you believe Vladimir Putin? And, and uh, that was the famous walk back that took place. <laughs> uh, would, wouldn't, you know, he changed the words. But we asked people, well, what do you think? Are you more likely to believe the uh, intelligence community uh, that Russia interfered in the elections? Or do you believe that Trump you know, it accepts Putin's denial. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that's the case? And 72% of 
of Americans are more likely to believe the United States intelligence community that Russia did interfere in the 2016 elections, and only 16 percent believe that, that what Trump said was that Putin denied it and it was a strong denial. And then when you ask it specifically, you know, did Russia – do you think Russia inter- interfered in 2016? 69 percent of Americans say yes, including 51 percent of Republicans. So, you know, we've heard so much – and in, in terms of the overall image of Donald Trump, his core is intact. His base is intact. We've known that. Everybody's talking about – everybody sees it in their polls. Here's some numbers, however, where Republicans are not exactly – Uniform in their yeah. support of where the president which is. is that's, which, that's atypical. Which is so interesting. Does, Barbara, does that mean that we've talked about cracks in support for 24 months practically? Does this indicate any cracks in support, or is it simply that they agree to disagree? No, I think they agree to disagree on this particular issue. And what I, what I think plays into these opinions here is that people still do have um, trust and confidence in the intelligence community. Mm -hmm. We asked a number of questions about different institutions Mm -hmm. in this poll as well. Uh, Certainly the the one that, you know, everybody agrees on, a strong consensus, 88% of Americans um, have confidence and trust in our military. But after that, it comes down to the Supreme Court and the FBI. Um, And so despite all of the haranguing that they have gotten and the tension between the intelligence community and uh, the administration, uh, I think people still have, um, you know, really trust in these people to be patriots and to be, uh, you know, to be doing uh, good good work. It's almost two to one in terms of the FBI doing its job or biased against the Trump administration. Those numbers nationally are almost two to one that they're doing their job. So when the attack is on and the hoax is being talked about, it's really not hitting on uh, the agreeable well, ears. I, but I think, but when you know, when you talk about Trump's base, I mean, one of the things we did find in this poll is the strength of his base. And in fact, uh, we had seen it it wane somewhat in our previous polls, particularly in, particularly in April. Um, but we see now that that has you know. Uh, reformed. It's it's coalesced again in great numbers for him. In fact, when we see a, a lot of uh, just small changes uh, in some of the numbers, for instance, you talked earlier, Jay, about the intensity of support for the president um, and how strong that was in Wisconsin. Well, nationally, it's at 25 percent of people who strongly Strongly approve him. And that is the highest that it has been during um, his term, his term in office. And that's particularly fueled by Republicans um, and and his base. We see his favorable rating um, also up a couple of points. And again, that's primarily because uh, a greater number of Republicans uh, have a positive view of him at this time. One of the things that he's been criticized for um, by Republicans and Democrats is that he, he just isn't truthful. You know, he just uh, doesn't tell the truth an awful lot of the time. And 61 percent of Americans in our poll think that uh, Trump tells the truth at most some of the time. Fifty six percent say he's less honest than previous presidents. Sixty percent are embarrassed by his behavior. Sixty two percent are more likely to trust their favorite news sources over Trump. Just a a series of numbers that kind of— Except for Republicans. Yeah, except for Republicans kind of get you at this notion that um, he's not super trustworthy— and, and that has to at least in part be driving some of these approval numbers because if you look at other things, 
like the economy, right? So it is hard to argue, for whatever reason, that the economy is about as good as it's been in, in many in of our lifetimes, time. right? A it's a time. really long time. Any president running into a midterm uh, with this economy should be looking at bucking the historic trend mm-hmm. that you lose some seats in a midterm. Yep. This should be 2002, with which, which for Bush was you know post-9-11, where you just don't lose any seats, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the economy is that good. And to their credit, Americans give him some credit mm-hmm. on Absolutely. the economy. So 47, 49% think that the uh, there's been a change for the better uh, in the economy uh, and give some credit to President Bush for it. I mean, President Trump for that. So there are things that are working sure. for him, and, and but there's so much that seems to be working against yeah. him if you look at the in the balance just, at where his approval is. I just want to make one more point on the economy and not to be overlooked that very often electoral politics turns on people's perceptions of the economy. So before the Democrats start high-fiving themselves about the blue wave, they better look at those numbers and see that Donald Trump is not seen as negatively on the economy as he is on the world stage. Although the one thing that I think is just an enormous uh, change that we're seeing during um, the Trump administration is this gender gap. Um, the yeah, we talked about it in the states, and nationally, you saw we saw it too. It's it's absolutely enormous. There's actually a 43 point gender gap in President Trump's approval rating, uh, which means men approve of Trump 50 um, percent to 39 percent, and women approve of Trump 30 percent and disapprove 62 percent. So it's a complete. Practically two 180. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two, two out of every three women in America disapprove of the president. That's that's a staggering number. I mean, that's just kind of unheard of. And it, ta- it speaks a little bit to what you mentioned, Jay, in Wisconsin, which is this issue of suburban women. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the change has occurred. Um, he actually has a 57% strongly disapprove among suburban women nationally. That That's that's almost inconceivable. You, I mean, th- those, that's a really rough number. Um, and those are, those are women that are perhaps soft Democrats, independents, uh, maybe have also, you know, voted Republican and have voted Democrat at other times. So it's a group where Republicans have actually done well um, in the past and something to really be watched as and, we go and now into I'm the a, now I'm going to contradict what I said just a few moments ago. So if you're a Republican and you think that Donald Trump's numbers on the economy are about to st- stay off, you know, keep away the contain the Democrats' the blue wave. wave. Yeah. You got to worry about the suburban women, fifty-seven of whom percent, fifty-seven percent of whom are are not exactly in your corner. So don't call I, it the pink wave. Don't. don't <laughs> no, don't I, go I, I didn't do that. I did not do that. <laughs> Who would have even thought of that? Jay? Jay. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, I'm looking for you know uh, something to go with the, the the red wall, the blue wall, the blue wave. It's all about. So college. nationally, though, in terms of the congressional questions, the generic question, we have a plus seven for the Democrats, and on this importance enthusiasm thing, nationally. We see a 10-point advantage for the Democrats over the Republicans in terms of how people think uh, whether this is important or not, the midterm elections. And I wanted to talk just a second about young people because we're going to hear – we've heard a lot about them. Oh, you read my mind. And we're going to hear a little bit more, I'm sure, between now and Election Day. We're seeing that the youth, people under 30 years of age, um, are significantly more in the Democrats' column in terms of whether they want to – 
you know, do they disapprove of the president, how they're going to vote. Um, what is not the case is, however, that they look like they're going to necessarily show up in greater numbers. Their measure of important significance in this election is the least of all the age groups, and that's the way it usually is. So we're not uh, seeing true. any big but, change but, in those. But when we, we ask that question in, in, in gradations, though, so we ask it, do, is it very important to you? This election is it important? Is it somewhat, etc.? Very important and important. Those numbers are pretty much in line with every other group. It's the very important that's yeah. not. Yeah. And I think there that is that's that difference key. between very important sure. and important. In, in, in you know, in question wording and in polling, um, when we want to get an understanding of whether someone will actually do something, we call it the top box. <laughs> How many people are actually in that top box? Which people is the say, very, which is whatever. the very, which yeah. is the most intensity. And we look at it, at, you know, the, the bottom box too. So when we're looking at, you know, Trump's, um, you know, approval rating, and we're looking at that intensity and that strength of support, it's 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 very telling to see a number uh, at the bottom that is twice, almost twice the size as the number at the top. But in terms of be if we want to predict behavior, if we want to get a sense of whether people are actually going to go out and do something, think top box. So briefly, to la last word, uh, each of us get it. So let's start with you, Lee. What should people be watching for between now and November based on what we're seeing in these polls? Uh, what are you looking for? I, I, that enthusiasm gap difference, I think that's, you know, just very, very important. And of course, how is, if this is a nationalized election, how is the president being seen? Does he cast a long shadow or is he going to be a benefit to certain people in red states? There are three groups that I think are really key. Women, uh, voters under 30, and then also Republicans. And I think those are three groups to really track to see if the intensity and enthusiasm um, is maintained among Republicans and their support for the president, and then to see the intensity and interest in the election among those under 30 and whether uh, suburban women are going to come out. And I'm, and I'm looking at this as a political reporter. It's mid-July. It is a long <laughs> way to November, and there are a lot of dollars to be spent. This is likely to be the most expensive midterm election. There are estimates that more money could be spent in this midterm election than we're spending the presidential election in 2016, which is astonishing. That I mean, that's never happened before we've had that. That's what I'm looking at is what happens when we go back into these states and the dollars are starting sure. to flow. Are we seeing the movement that those dollars would generally indicate is going to happen? Closing of gaps, if the, you know, it, it generally money mutters the waters and closes gaps. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see with, if that with happens. With targeted messages. We haven't really got a sense of, you know, the messages that are going to be targeted by these candidates about but, but well, this actually, really gets in, back the, in to these states, we we don't even have some of the candidates. Yeah, we don't even have. Where they're it, looking at primaries on August seventh uh, and I think the fourteenth. But it gets back to your point, actually, Lee, which is a really good one about well, whether no it's more. whether it's Trump. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> whether it's Trump or not, th th those dollars uh, for Democrats will largely be spent, from what we can see, linking people, linking Republicans to Trump, and and the the Republican dollars will be spent on some something else. E probably in most of these districts, in most of these states, we're looking at uh, the. That we just talked about. So all those dollars are going to be spent on these messages that we don't yet know exactly what they are, but which message resonates. Is this another Trump election or is this something else? That, I think, is the most interesting question yeah, of all. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. 
Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. And we want to welcome back our executive producer and thank Mary Griffith, who always keeps us uh, on track and keeps us honest with the numbers. Yeah, she wasn't screaming, actually. That was a, that was a little toy I have last time. Yeah, and she, and she let us uh, yeah. off the hook on that one. So we also want to thank the Roper Center Archives at Cornell, which we do each and every program. Uh, they provide us the opportunity to look back in time. And, you know, one thing came across my desk this week that on, in their archives, they reported on a Gallup study of 1958, which was the first old age studies, if I can use that phrase, that's the one they did at the time. They interviewed 402 people who were over 95 years of age, and it's what wow. a data set that is. Some of these people, I think it's They were said, alive in the Civil War. Yeah, they, they actually, some people in this survey actually remembered the Civil War. Which, uh, oh, which is uh, really so. So, if you want to have a grand time, uh, and the people who at the Roper who were sending this along our way uh, just thought this was the most fun data set they've ever seen. Enjoy yourselves by going through that. And you can send your questions to us at pollhub at marist.edu. Also, reach out to us on social media. That's the best way to connect. We're at marispoll on Twitter, marispoll on Facebook. And as always, when you look at that button on your phone or whatever device you're listening to us on, there's a subscribe button. Tap it, and that way, every time there's a new Poll Hub, it'll pop into your queue, and you'll be able to listen to us as soon as it comes right out of the oven. Fresh baked Poll Hub. Have a good week.